Welcome to It's an EDRN. On this first ever episode, we're going to explore if I've made a terrible life mistake by quitting my cushy nurse manager office job and finding myself in the hellscape that is bedside nursing in the emergency department during a global pandemic. I'm your host, an EDRN, and I hope you'll stick around to listen. It's an E. It's a D. It's an ED. It's an E stands for emergency. It's a D stands for department. It's an E for erectile dysfunction. That's a nurse. Episode one: An EDRN may have made a terrible mistake. Hi. Welcome to my podcast. It's an EDRN. I am your host, an EDRN. Let's start with introductions. Um, Me, I've been a nurse for 10 years. The last five years, I have been a nurse manager. And I recently quit that job because it was sucking the life out of me. And I decided to go back to bedside. And I decided to do this in the emergency department. In a trauma one hospital in the middle of a global pandemic. So let's get into why I've done this and whether or not it's been a terrible mistake. Uh, Why go back? I have found over the last five years that administration is really not for me. Not right now and hopefully not ever, ever again. Um, I will do an entire episode on why being a nurse manager is just the worst job imaginable. But for now, I will give you one example. Being a nurse manager is seeing that the new red top pill crushers purchased by your hospital to save money are a piece of shit. Having your bedside staff tell you that the new pill crushers purchased to save money are pieces of shit. Seeing for yourself how the bottom of these pill crushers disintegrates under the smallest bit of pressure, thereby releasing tiny shards of plastic into the medication that you are crushing to give to your patient, resulting in wasted meds, wasted time for the nurse, who now has to request these meds again, waiting on them, give them late, document why they were late, all of which, by the way, is completely offsetting the money saved from buying these cheap-ass pill crushers in the first place, and then going to a decision-making meeting of nurse administrators with all this information and being told, prove it. Prove that these pill crushers are a piece of shit. So being a nurse manager is, in part, Proving that a problem which is so pervasive you could literally ask any nurse practicing in the hospital, hey, are these pill crushers little pieces of shit that you hate using? And every time getting a resounding, oh my God, you have no idea how much these little pieces of shit make me want to quit my job every time I have to use them. And then turning that into a PowerPoint presentation so that months later, you can finally get pill crushers that do their damn job. And then doing it all again. Two years later, when those cheap-ass pill crushers show back up. So that's just one part, one section, one offshoot of frustration of the, the impotence, the perpetual defeat that is being a nurse manager. 
And again, we'll get into that in another episode, but needless to say, not for me. Um, another reason I went back to bedside is there's a clear need. Uh, the pandemic exacerbated what was already a nursing shortage, at least in this country. And I think it's safe to say globally, we lost a lot of nurses, um, to retirement. We lost a lot of nurses to frustration and burnout and COVID, frankly. Um, and now there's a shortage and the nurses who are left by and large are tired. They're, they're not tired. They're exhausted emotionally, physically. And this is for many, many reasons that we will explore so much more. Um, it's a pandemic and this is why I became a nurse to respond to health crises, public health crises, local health crises, you know, these mass events that we're all experiencing. This is why I got into it to help. And I didn't feel like I was helping in a blazer going to work. I have a lot of respect for nurse administrators. It is a shit job. And I am not saying that going to work in a blazer makes you less of a nurse than going to work in scrubs. What I'm saying is that for me personally, I wasn't feeling fulfilled by the job I was doing in a blazer. So I put on a pair of scrubs and I got to work. Um, the last and final reason that I went back to bedside, uh, midlife crisis. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I thought my life was going one way. I thought I was going to keep climbing that ladder. I thought I was going to get myself into a position of real decision-making power. And the more that I pursued that, the clearer it became that that's not a thing for nurses. Not right now, not in the current system. Uh, so, yeah, I'm reevaluating. <laughs> my life. And what better place to do that uh, than in an emergency room? Um, so this is life as an EDRN right now, I, because I don't know that everyone is aware, because why would you be if you're not a nurse? Um, maybe even if you're a nurse, but just not in an ED or a hospital right now. But the extent to which COVID has changed the way hospital emergency departments have to operate is pretty profound and not just for COVID patients. So I have discovered over my last three months in this emergency department that when you come into the ED with something normal, like abdominal pain or a broken bone or some other like not life-threatening, uh, but definitely serious medical issue, if you also have Shortness of breath, diarrhea, headache, cough, stuffy nose, any of the myriad of COVID symptoms, you are immediately sent to a separate area to get COVID tested. This is because if you, if you do have COVID, we as a hospital are responsible for limiting the exposure to our staff and other patients as much as possible. But, but the logistics of this is that you're put into an area you are cohorted with a bunch of other people who also potentially have COVID. <laughs> and 
And you may not be seen by a doctor until this test is complete, which takes about 20 minutes once the test is started. And there may only be like two or three machines running these tests at any given point. That's for the entire emergency department. So if you are COVID positive, then you can only go to certain rooms within the emergency department or, you know, with the same for the whole hospital, but I'm just speaking specifically of the emergency department. Um, You have to go to rooms that are approved for airborne precautions. And each of these rooms has a very large and a very loud HEPA filter machine that sounds like a generator right next to you. Um, Also in that room is a bedside commode because you are not allowed to leave the room. Otherwise, you could be exposing other people to COVID, which means you will be doing all your bio business into a bucket next to your bed that your nurse has to come and dispose of for you. And hopefully they have the time to do that um, fairly quickly. In an emergency department where emergencies are happening, not always the case. Um, If you are COVID negative, you have a one in four chance of going to a hall bed because due to capacity issues, which are a direct result of the pandemic, but that for complex reasons are unlikely to resolve once the pandemic is over, for every three patient rooms with a door, there are now one stretcher in the hallway for every three actual rooms, some of which may have curtains around them in these hallways and many of which do not. So you are in a hallway. You are going to have all your conversations with nurses and doctors about why you are there in the hallway. Uh, Fingers crossed you can walk to the bathroom down the hall because otherwise you will be relieving yourself, obviously with help, in that hallway. And this is not just in the ED. As I said, uh, the other day I saw an ICU patient in a closet, not in a windowless patient room, in an actual closet. The reason these capacity issues will persist long after the pandemic is hopefully someday, theoretically, um, in my fantasies over, has to do with a lot of things, not the least of which is nurse staffing shortages, supply chain disruptions, increased length of stay for ICU and long-haul COVID patients, and a lot of other complex things that, yeah, maybe we can get into in another episode. So many things we're going to get into in this show because I can't not talk about them. It's just, it's a lot. And I knew it was a lot. But knowing and seeing from a distance are different from being and experiencing for yourself. Um, And here's where I just like feel compelled to say that the single most important thing you can do to help is to get vaccinated. I'm a nurse. I care about public health. This is a public health crisis. And during a public health crisis, we are called on to do what we can for the greatest good of all of us. So you may be healthy. You may even be cautious and taking every precaution, wearing your mask everywhere. But health is not a lone predictor of how well you may or may not tolerate this virus. And it certainly is no predictor of how well the person you may inadvertently pass the virus on to 
is going to tolerate it. That person will most likely be a loved one. So if you're not going to get vaccinated for yourself, think about the people in your life and who it is you choose to protect with your vaccination. I do not want my grandma to be pissing into a bedpan in the hallway of an emergency department. So I'm going to do everything I can to end this pandemic so that we can begin to solve these issues. Get grandma out of the hallway. Get vaccinated. Moving on. Uh, what have I gotten myself into? I, I don't know. Something that I try not to evaluate right now is have I made a terrible mistake? Um, I had my first shift on my own yesterday and it was a lot. Um, when you, when you ask a nurse, like, how was your shift? Oh, how was your day? How was your shift? Um, it's so hard to answer that because you, you can't, it's not a simple answer. And it makes me think of this I read a blog post once. I'm not a parent. Thank God I don't have children. Um, But for some oddball reason, I was reading a post from a mom. um, And this woman wrote that when her partner comes home at the end of the workday and he asks her how her day was with the kids, that she one day she didn't realize why she was so upset by this question. And, And one day she just responded, how was my day? I've had a hundred days today and that's what a 12 hour shift is like. It's, uh, I've had a hundred shifts. It's great. It's terrible. I'm bored. I'm busy. I'm nailing it. I'm overwhelmed. I'm the smartest person on earth. I'm the dumbest person on earth. That was my shift yesterday. I got a super difficult IV on a confused older patient. That felt great. I gave a patient a nosebleed trying to, to drop an NG tube. Um, that sucked. I got, I, I gave succinct, accurate, and at moments entertaining report to the oncoming nurse. I forgot to rack a chart. So essentially my sick AF patient sat there for 20 minutes before I realized that they weren't even in line to get orders or be seen by a doctor because of something I forgot to do. So needless to say, I had a hundred shifts yesterday, uh, and it was a lot. So another question I try not to ask myself is why am I going backward in my career when all of my friends and everyone I pretty much work with is going forward? I work with, you know, I'm just meeting all these people, but I work with a lot of really smart nurses and a lot of them have realized that to make more money or to get more respect hopefully from patients and colleagues they need to go back to school and become nurse practitioners or uh I don't know even administrators and they're doing that I have two friends that I started nursing school with one of them's a nurse practitioner and the other one is is running a hospital you know she's 
she's amazing and she's doing good work and she's making changes like slowly but surely. And so my decision to essentially go back in time, go backwards and go back to bedside when I have a master's degree in nursing, when I, that I worked really hard for, when I have a national certification for an, an executive, you know, administrator, whatever it's called, because I thought I was going one way in my nursing career is confusing to me. I, I just, I think about it a lot. I think about if I get sick and I can't work, how financially I would be so much better off if I had stayed in a management position, because that probably would have led to a higher management position after that and more pay and more pay. And, and yet here I am making 20K about less a year to deal with blood and other body fluids, uh, put my back at risk, get yelled at, get things thrown at me, um, to say nothing of the more articulate slights that uh, nurses, women, nurses in particular, or any, I don't want to exclude gender nonconforming nurses, um, receive from patients. And in fact, any nurses who aren't white males, I'll just say it, white cis head males, receive undue scrutiny, um, harassment, and just general are an increased level of vulnerability when you are alone in a room secluded with another human being who is in a crisis or has experienced a trauma. I have heard a lot in my nursing career about how, how vulnerable patients feel, and I have never had a class on how vulnerable nurses are. I found research for myself on the OSHA website that nurses are about Depending on the reporting source, uh, four to five times more likely to be assaulted than any other single profession. Not any other single medical profession, not any other single uh, salaried profession or hourly, like any other single profession. I've had things thrown at me. I have been yelled at. I have had a patient look at me and tell me that she's sorry that my life is so miserable that I had to take it out on her. <laughs> like just for trying to get her to take her medicine. <laughs> these are just, these are things, you know, that nurses experience. And I feel like we don't talk about them uh, except to kind of in a moment in the break room kind of word vomit our complaints and then all of us relating to each other and saying how awful it is. But I just want to get it out there for anybody who wants to listen. So here's where we are. Here's where I am. I am an experienced nurse who was on an administrative track who found that I hated my life. And so I packed up all my shit. I moved to a new state. And for the first time in my nursing career, I'm working in the emergency department. And I'm going to try and not have panic thoughts about what I have done 
And instead, I will channel all of that energy into this. It's an EDRN. It's a podcast. And I hope you'll stick around. Tips and tricks. Nurses love sharing tips and tricks, and I am no exception. So tip number one, write it down. I don't know a lot of things right now, but I do know that when you're new, you got to write things down. No one else is going to be writing things down while getting report, but when you're new, you got to do it. You are going to cycle through eight to 10 patients on a busy day, and you want to have some source of succinct, you want to have some succinct point of reference for giving report on the four to five that you have left at shift change. Tip number two. Lean into the education part. I have always looked at modules throughout my nursing career as something to fly through as quickly as possible because I'll learn what I need to know on the job. And largely this still holds up. But when you're new, take care which ones you do this with. Try to identify those things that are least comfortable for you clinically and just put your energy there. So for me, this is cardiac rhythms. I'm really, I'm not great at cardiac rhythms and I never have been, even when I was an ICU nurse. So I took an optional cardiac, uh, like a refresher course, um, before taking a test that, uh, nearly ended my life, but I did end up passing it just barely. <laughs> so, um, this is the most education that you're going to get in, in a short time span for a while, probably until you go to a new department or take a new job. So. Uh, take advantage of it. Tip number three, be petty with your time. It's a one hour module. So filling out a time edit may not seem worth it, but it is. You are hourly. You get paid for your time. So an hour here, 30 minutes there, it adds up in the span of a year, two years, three years, five. And and you're paid for this time. So be petty. Submit those time edits. Fill out that sheet. Get your supervisor to sign it. Turn it into your manager. Hopefully it gets approved and then it goes on your time card. But it's worth it. Even if you're not sure if you're supposed to get paid for something, submit it. Make them reject it. Make them tell you you're not getting paid for something. Most of the time, they're not going to go through the effort of telling you that they don't usually compensate that. So submit it. Get paid. Get paid, bitch. Tip number four, embrace the suck. You're not going to be good at your job for a while, so just go with it. You're going to be slow. You're not going to know anybody. You can't get into the linen cart because you have the same badge number as somebody else and no one will give you the universal code. Like <laughs> these, these things are going to happen. It's going to feel this way for a while. Make peace with it. You're not going to be a star for some time. You're just going to be okay at your job. And that is fine. And then I do have one trick that I have learned on the job over the last three months. And it is pretty cool if you don't know it. Um, condom caths. This is random, but stick with it. They can be really difficult to get on, especially as anatomically penises can be very different. So take that condom cath. Get yourself a 10 mil syringe, attach the 10 mil syringe empty 
to the open end of the condom calf. And as you, when you kind of first put it on the tip of the penis, pull back on that syringe to create a vacuum as you roll the condom calf down the penis. It'll hold the condom calf in place and it'll get the most contact area with the adhesive. It works. Just try it. It's, it's self-explanatory. You'll know what to do with it. Um, also, if you're someone who uses mastosol on a penis before putting on a condom cat, there is a special place in hell for you. So stop doing that. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. There will be more coming in which I will relay my experiences being an EDRN, uh, my triumphs, my tragedies, and hopefully more tips and tricks so that you are not doomed to repeat my mistakes. If you have questions or comments or things that you especially want me to talk about, you can leave an Apple podcast review. Um, five stars only. I'm not here to have my self-esteem cut down. That's already something I experience at work. Thank you for listening and have a safe shift. It's an EDRN is written and produced by me. Our senior editor is me. The theme song is written and performed by, tragically, also me. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the standards and positions of any healthcare entity that I may or may not be working for. Although I am a nurse, things I say on this podcast are not a stand-in for professional medical advice and everything you hear from randos on the internet should absolutely be validated across multiple other reliable sources.